The Rural Church Podcast 2.0. Wait a second. It's December. That's better. Just a couple of pastors discussing life, ministry, theology, and the gospel from a local church perspective. Eddie, what's it time for? The Rural Church Podcast. Welcome to the Rural Church Podcast, episode 20. Say hello, Eddie. Hello, everybody. I'm Alan Nelson, pastor of Perryville Second Baptist Church in Perryville, Arkansas. And with me is my friend and brother in the Lord, co-laborer, Eddie Ragsdale, pastor of First Baptist Marshall. And then again, we have with us the one, the only, Hark the Herald Angel, Harold Smith. What's up, my brother? Oh, same old thing. (laughs) Hey, listen, I got a verse I want to start with, and we're going to get back in. We promised from last week that we're going to get back into this question, but it's December 21st, so I've got a a verse I'm going to read. This is from the book of Micah 5.2. It says, But you, O Bethlehem of Phratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Obviously, that's talking about our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to start with that as we think about this time of year. And this time of year reminds me that God is pleased to use out-of-the-way places, smaller places, looked-over places to bring about his good plans. I think about Charles Spurgeon, who wandered into this primitive Methodist church where there was like 10 people one day, right? And this lay person gets up and starts preaching, look to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. I I think it's Isaiah 45, 22. And what happens? Charles Spurgeon is converted. And of course, he needs no introduction. So all that to say, this Christmas season should remind us that God has a plan and could be a great plan, a plan beyond our imagination for rural churches. Do you guys agree or have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I would agree. You know, you think about even the life of our Lord Jesus, the vast majority of his life was spent, you know, born in Bethlehem and lived in uh, Nazareth. It was not spent in the urban centers of Jerusalem or Capernaum. It was spent in the rural areas and amongst the people. Um, And even when he did in his ministry engage in those uh, larger centers, we, we know that he was also engaging in ministry in the rural areas. If you even remember when he sent out his apostles the first time, he sent them to the villages uh, that they would preach in those places. And so we're uh, the Lord has called us to preach everywhere, uh, not just in the, in the centers of population. So last episode, we learned about Harold's ministry. In this episode, what we want to do is we kind of want to pick his brain about encouragement, advice, counsel that he might have for those that are in rural churches. Or actually, I'm, I know the council will, will extend beyond just rural churches. But, Eddie, you started with a question last week, and why don't you ask that question again? Yeah, I just want to reiterate this question. So, Harold, when you think about 
connecting churches together, that usually happens through the pastors having connections. So how would you encourage guys? Maybe they don't feel like they, they're ambitious enough to try to put on a Preachers of Grace conference, but how would you encourage them to just start making those networking connections where it's more than just a professional networking, but really growing fellowship and friendship with other brothers? The most biblical thing you can do is break bread together. One thing every pastor does is eat, most of them two to three times a day. So I would just buy lunch. Uh, somebody called me one time the apostle of biscuits and gravy because I would buy lunches. I would buy breakfast. Uh, uh, anytime a group of preachers got together, I purchased their meals. Uh, I do this on numerous occasions. I don't do it to brag. I do it because I believe in it. Um, I believe in it because we, we need to eat together. The, the early church ate together, not just the Lord's Supper. They had meals together, and that's how preachers need to form relationships. And let's be honest and upfront. We are not going to be really close to those that we doctrinally disagree with. You know, me and the local woman Methodist preacher are probably not going to eat a lot of lunches together. We just have too many doctrinal disagreements. I mean, let's be honest, you know, me and the woke pastor, I'm as hillbilly as they come. Me and the hipster woke pastor are not going to be as tight as you guys are. Uh, but the more we have in common, the more we can be together. Now, here's the, the kicker. If you find somebody you have something in common with, invest yourself in them. Make, make yourself easy to be friends with. It's easy to be friends with a guy that always buys your lunch. And let's be honest, lunch costs us 10, 12 bucks. All right. If you guys will just quit dipping snuff for three days, you can buy another <laughs> preacher's lunch. I don't even know if you dip snuff, but I mean, it's, it's nothing. I do not. Okay. I did not anymore. Five years. That's before the Biden economy. 10, 12 yeah. bucks. What are you going to buy with that now? Yeah. The point is, it's cheap. It, yeah. it buys you an, at least an hour of his time. And so you get to know him. You can sit down, have lunch with a guy. You can tell real quick if you want to have lunch with him again. Mm -hmm. And so I always say the easiest way to help a church is to help their pastor. If you invest in a, in a, in a pastor, you've invested in that church. And so when we started our pastor's conference to build fellowship, I told our church, we're not just ministering to preachers here. Because they were like, well, why do we need preachers here? And I'm like, if these men all go back to their churches feeling refreshed and, you know, re-energized. If they feel like they have, you know, they're not, they don't have the Elijah syndrome anymore. They're not sitting under a juniper tree all by themselves. If, if they realize that they have a support system, they now have more boldness in their church. They're more committed to staying. They're not combing through the back of the classifieds in the Baptist paper looking for a better option. They, they start to sink their lives in and stay. And um, so how do you minister to that preacher? Well, I give away books, all right? My ministry buys books in bulk, cases of books, because I know preachers read books. And if I can give a pastor a good book, I'll keep a, a Joel Osteen book out of his hand. I'll keep a T.D. Jakes book out of his hand. I don't give away just any book. I give away books that help. If you find a pastor and you buy his lunch and you give him books, that guy's indebted to you for 25 bucks. <laughs> and so the next time you call him and say, hey, brother, I'm in your town. You want to grab a, a sandwich somewhere? 
he's readily willing to go. And if you give the guy four or five books and you buy four or five lunches, then he's coming through your town saying, hey, look, I'm buying this time. And so now the relationship is both ways. And that's just real practical and simple. When a new pastor moves into our area, we we are not above giving them a, a an old-fashioned pounding where we have the church bring in canned vegetables and non-perishables and give them to them. And if you show up at a new preacher's door and you hand his wife four or five boxes of groceries, you're friends. These are physical things that we were given. You know, we yeah. have money so that we can share it, not I, so I, we can hoard it. I appreciate you clarifying that because I'm not sure who all listens to this. And I've been the exper- I've been on the the good end of a few pa- church poundings. And uh, as like last episode, I wanted to just clarify. I never jumped in, but. When you talk about a warship, you you uh, you're not talking about a uh, you're not talking about a ship, you know, that's got cannons on and stuff. You're talking about worship, brother. I speak the language of heaven. Get on board, <laughs> uh, because this is the way they'll talk when we get there. So I think it's important. And let me just say, I give you, I won't say much about it, but my own personal testimony in the last few months, I have been held together in many ways by a support system of pastor friends, you know, that uh, we go through a difficult time here at our church, but the Lord has used brothers in the ministry to encourage me, to love me. And here's the deal too. Some of these guys I barely know, but some of the guys I've developed relationship over the years, and it's just been, it's been such an encouragement. It's, it, it reminds me like I'm not alone, you know, and, and the Lord uses brothers in the faith to sharpen us, to encourage us, to to challenge us when we need to be challenged. We, we've all we've all had those experiences, and those listening, you may not have had those experiences, but you can have those experiences if you're willing to put yourself out there. You can't just say, "Well, if someone comes to me, we'll 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 make this work." But no, you you've got to give up the little bit of time. But it's it's worth it's worth the investment. Yeah, and, I didn't gain all these friends by sitting in my office waiting for them to stop. I made special efforts to go meet Mm -hmm. with them. And when I met with them, I was always generous. Guys, we've got to get back to a spirit of generosity. If we will get generous and ministering to the needs of our fellow believers, both in the church and outside the church, God will get generous with us and his care and provision for us. I've been trading $100 bills with God for the last 14 months and he's still up on me. I cannot get ahead of him. <laughs> I give away I give away stuff, I give away money, and I try to spend down what God's given me and at the end of the month I have more money than I started with. And, another and we've got to get back to that. Generosity. And another thing I've seen you do personally, I've seen you do this very well is persistence. And that is, you know, you do get to a point when you text a guy, you call a guy, you email a guy, eventually get to a point where, like, okay, th- this road's closed. But it takes you a long time to get to that closed road. A guy doesn't call you back, you call him back later. A guy doesn't text yeah. you back, you text him back. A guy doesn't email you back, you email him again. You know, I've seen, yeah. I've just seen the persistence there. A, a lot of times, you're not going to develop these relationships strongly until bad things happen. So you can you can extend you know an invitation you can greet someone you can be kind to them, but it's not until the deacons call a special meeting that this relationship is something. 
You know what mm. I mean? It, it, you can have this, but it's not until the church has fired them and you show up with some some provisions for their family and say, look, our church loves preachers and we love you and we're going to see you through this. You need to build that relationship in times of peace so when the arrows start flying and the swords start swinging, they've got somebody on their side. And if we don't extend the olive branch in times of peace and, and try to you know, build networks then, they're not going to reach out to us in times of trouble. So I look, I know you guys probably wouldn't agree with me, but I, I, and, and most of your listeners may not. I'm pre-millennial. I think the world's going to get worse. Okay. <laughs> Eddie don't and know. Since I think the world's going to get worse, I think the night is coming when no man can work. So right now we need to do all we can to build up churches, build networks of pastors, encourage people, equip them, get them plugged in, find places where they're staying, where they're solid, that they're committed. They're not constantly wondering, is this the day I get fired? We need stability. And we build that during times of peace. So as the world gets worse and worse and worse, we're already ready for that. We're not caught off guard. And it, it takes effort. You know, you've got to get out of your office. You've got to get you, you've got to do more than just text and call. You've got to sit down face to face with somebody and talk to them. Interesting. Well, this podcast coming out on the darkest day of the year. Yeah. All that doom and gloom. Go go yeah. ahead, Eddie. Well, there's you know, there's also something to hospitality where it's not just um, the generosity aspect, which is clearly there, but also just the being welcome in a person's presence. And, you know, some guys, you get around them and you just feel like uh, they don't really want you around them. And yeah. you've got to be a person that that uh, extends that. And, and I would even say, if we're going to be pastors, that's, that's part of the requirement. You know, we have to be hospitable if we, if, if, and that's not just the sheep in our own church, but people in the community and other brothers in the ministry, if we can't be hospitable and welcome them in to our presence, uh, then we're not going to be able to be effective in serving Christ in his church. That's right. You know, another question I got for you, Harold, I was thinking about is this, you've been around, You've been you've been in churches in multiple states. You've helped churches to find pastors. What counsel would you give to pastors in their churches right now? Like like what's what's kind of the vibe you get from from the needs of church? I know every local church is different, but you, I'm sure you see some patterns that are pretty similar in various churches. And so, what counsel would you give to to pastors? or maybe even other sort of leaders in churches, what do you see that churches need right now from, from their, from their ministers? Um, the churches that to my, to me seem to be thriving, have strong pulpit ministries. It, it's not the programs. It's not the outreach. It's not the, you know, we've got 27 things for your kids. The strong churches that I attend have pastors that are committed to, uh, the exposition of the scriptures. It's not always verse by verse through a book of the Bible. It's Some of them preach more like uh, Spurgeon-type messages where they're maybe in a different book every Sunday morning, maybe going through a book on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, but they're preaching a message that's biblically backed and biblically you know, founded. What I see in all the other churches is a lack of preaching. 
you can't outdo First Baptist. They've got a better volleyball court. They've got better hamburgers. They've got better hot dogs. We're eating Bar S. They're eating Nathan's Famous. You know, we can't we can't match them dog for dog. But here's what they don't have. They don't have a man that'll stand in the pulpit, open his Bible, and rear back and tell them what it says. Yeah. And that doesn't appeal to the world. But you know who loves that? Sheep and sinners who are under conviction because of their sins. And if a pastor will stand up and do that and do that and do that and do that and do it for a decade, then all of a sudden people in town will be like, somebody new will move in. I'm looking for a church. Oh, you want to go over to Lee Creek. That guy over there, he don't care what you think. He'll tell you what the Bible says, like it, lump it, or whatever. When you get that reputation as a church, then you see a really solid congregation because you see people that came to your church not because the kids liked it, uh, not because you picked them up on the bus. They came to your church because the word was preached. That takes time. Strong pulpit ministries over a decade lead to strong churches. Everything else can fall by the wayside. People would show up. What do you have for my kids? Nothing. But we're going to build a fire in the pulpit in about 30 minutes. Just hang around. That was always the focus. That was always the emphasis at Lee Creek. And it took years. But today, that is a strong church. Joseph Allen is our pastor. He's doing the same thing. He's committed to preaching. Everything else can fall apart. But on Sundays and Wednesdays, we have a man who's ready to preach standing in the pulpit. And people show up, and they're excited to hear the Word of God preached. When you get people that all they want is preaching, preaching's all you got to give them, mm. and it's I, enough. I think that's a lot. Of, I, I think that's a lot of encouragement right there. W- w- but would you add any additional encouragement? Maybe if someone's listening to this, and you know, they're like, "Well, I'm trying to do that." You know, like, yeah. Because you, we've all been there. We've all sure. ministry can be discouraging. What What would Listen, you say? It's the Lord's church. It's not your church, not my church. It's the Lord's church. Sometimes the Lord turns out the candlestick. He never promised to keep all churches afloat. Some churches are going to close. Some pastors are going to get fired. You can do everything right and still end up out on the street. It's still the grace of God that turns things around. So we pray. We trust the Lord. We check our own attitudes. We repent of our own sins. We, it, it, you know, As much as it depends on me, I want to do it right. And then I trust God to do what only he can do. And as far as anything else goes, the problem I see, especially with young preachers, is they like, well, I came in and preached a five-series sermon or five, five, uh, a five-sermon series on the doctrines of grace, and then they fired me. I'm like, dude, I preached the doctrines of grace not from five points but from 66 books. <laughs> yeah. And I did it for years. Yeah. It takes years. Uh, something that, that Jeff Noblet has said and John O. Sims have said is you need a 20-year plan. You need a 20-year plan. When you enter a church, don't say, you know, this time next year I hope to have this, this, and this fixed. No, 20 years from now. And I tell pastors, unless you're ready to clean their toilet, don't go there. Because you got to be willing to do it all because it may get down to everybody leaves but you. Yeah. You are the doorkeeper. You do run the vacuum cleaner. You do mop the hallways. I've done all those things. And those were really dark and dull times, and I begged God to send me somewhere else, and he wouldn't. Hmm. And then things got great, and big churches called me, and I got popular, and people wanted me to travel off and preach. And I said, no, 
I'm going to stay here with my faithful 25 that love me and I love them. Amen. We've got to get to that point. And we've got to be committed to decades of ministry. What was it like when you woke up and realized you really were the pastor, not just a guy, not just a hireling? Yeah. Yeah, where where your Christmas bonus wasn't in the budget, it came out of their pockets. Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference. You know, when I came there, they had a they had a Christmas bonus in the budget. It was the same amount every year. It was very generous. But when the church loves their pastor, they would come up and go, hey, look, I know that's all part of the, that's in the budget. We love you. Here's this. And here's this for your wife. And here's this for your kids. And they're, they're providing for the needs. And then when you get to that point, and I'm speaking as a guy that pastored the same church 14 years, that eight preachers every two years, and I didn't want to leave there. God drugged me out of there to do this. But when you're there, don't ever abuse that authority. As long as you're transparent and honest and you tell everybody all the dollars that came in and where they all went, nobody can lay any charge against you. And so just be open, upfront, honest, love them, and preach the Bible. As some old Puritan said, uh, as long as they know you love them, you can tell them anything. It takes a long time to know you love someone. I mean, really love someone. Not like you're dating a girl and, oh, honey, I love you. No, I'm talking 10 years and two kids, 10 years of marriage and two kids later. That's when you know you love somebody. And it's about mm-hmm. the same way with the church, in my opinion. So, yeah. so you know, I asked the question at the start of the podcast about uh, encouraging and, and, and helping with the fellowship of those pastors. Now let's kind of bring that down to the local church because we we've been talking a lot, talking around and talking about Lee Creek, and I think Lee Creek is, man, it's just wonderful example of a local church that really loves not just pastors but just loves each other, loves one another, yeah. uh, serves well. You know, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I look forward to going to Preachers of Grace conference every year, and the preaching's wonderful, the preaching's always good, but it is the meals and the meeting with each other and it's the 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 wonderful folks at lee creek that really make it make it great you know i i used to go to some of the big conferences and i kind of decided i was done with doing that not because the preaching at those were wasn't good it was wonderful but i found that i really liked hanging out with my friends that i went to the conference with and i went why am i traveling to atlanta or to louisville to hang out with a bunch of guys from Arkansas that I could just hang out with yeah. in Arkansas. And so could you just kind of speak to how do you build that kind of fellowship in that actual local church? And you're going to tell us to eat, aren't you? No. <laughs> I, I was listening to a sermon the other day by the old Baptist preacher, Vance Havner. You know, I love Vance Havner. Uh, I, I think he was, he was a real gift to the Lord's Church during the 1900s. You know, he was born in 1909. I think he died in like 1989, something like that. Uh, maybe he's born in 1901, died not. Anyways, he he began preaching at 12. So for most of the the 1900s, Vance Havner was a preacher, and and on a pretty big platform. But he was talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, and he said preachers are getting up and they're trying to get the church to exhale, to breathe out, to do. And he said, and so they're exhorting them, they're they're shaming them, they're they're berating them, they're beating them over the head with the Bible. And he said, the reason that most churches aren't breathing out is because they've never breathed in and received the Spirit. Mm. 
So we're not going to go to a church with nine million problems and expect them to start acting like a church that's filled with the Spirit and yielded to the Spirit and well-fed sheep. It takes time. I think it was um, um, somebody, I can't remember who it was, it might have been Jeff Noblet. he said preaching is biblical counseling. If we get our pulpits right, we do less counseling. If we get our pulpits right, old crusty church members would get saved. I don't think you're ever going to see a great church at work until you see a small church that's saved. We can't expect people to act right if they're not right on the inside. And most of our churches, and you guys would admit, if we look at Baptist churches at large, most of them are filled with lost people. Mm -hmm. Is that true or false? That's true. Yeah, true. I'm not saying you run them people off. I'm saying you preach to see them saved. And when you get a majority of saved people, they act like saved people, and then the church acts like the church. You'll always have tares among the wheat, but the more wheat you have in the field, the better harvest you'll reap. Yeah. You know, kind of in a little bit in line with this kind of mixes this all together, but you and me are having lunch tomorrow with the brother talking about a, a conference. I think that local churches having conferences answer some of these things that we're talking about. That is when you have a conference, it builds fellowship with your own church. It brings in other pastors to fellowship with. You know, and this church that we're meeting with, and by the way, our church is a small church, and this church that we're meeting with tomorrow, the pastor, dear friend of ours, they're a small church. You do not have to be a huge church to have a conference. So you want to speak to that any or like maybe as churches, look, we're here at the end of the year, churches think about 2023, why not set aside a Saturday, a Friday and a Saturday, or whatever, and, and, and have a conference. Sp- speak to that for a moment. When we started the Preachers of Grace Conference, our church ran about 25 in regular attendance, and we hosted, I think that first year, I think we had 21 preachers. But only half the church showed up. Of our 25, we only had 12 people there. The other 12 was like, I'm, I'm not interested in preachers. I'm not a preacher. That's not for me. The next year, the 12 that were there told the 12 that wasn't there and said, hey, you guys missed it. It was great. It did more for our church to minister to people than it did to the people we ministered to. Conferences are cheap. Preachers will preach for free. They just want to preach. And so all you really need to do is feed them. One thing Baptists are good at is cooking. So get your ladies to cook. That doesn't cost nothing. Uh, get, Get a couple of preacher buddies to come in and preach and encourage them to bring people from their church. Then we accomplish a lot of this. We accomplish pastor fellowship, we accomplish inner church relationships, and then that church will have a conference. And it's not expected, but eventually people are like, hey, I want to experience that here. I want this to happen. So we've seen this happen over and over and over. It just, there's something about Christians getting together outside of a Sunday morning regular routine The only people that are going to come to an extra conference are the people that are hungry for it. So the people that are hungry get an extra meal. It's like going back for seconds. I was talking to to a missionary here a while back, and he and his son were traveling, and this couple invited them over to the house to eat supper and said they set down the plate, and it had a little small salad on it and like two ounces of roast beef. 
and like one little dollop of potatoes with no gravy. Hmm. And so they ate it and it was like, it was like nothing there. You know, these people were big health nuts. So these were probably measured out portions of green starches and, and his son is a big kid. You know, he's, he's, he's special needs, but he's a big kid. And, uh, she said, so they ate what was on their plate and they reached over to get the plate. And, uh, he said, do I need to keep my fork? Cause he was expecting something else to come out or dessert. And she goes, no, that's it. <laughs> and he was like, Hmm. Okay. And so they sat there and when they, he said, well, we left there. We had to stop at McDonald's and finish out our meal. <laughs> Christians need to eat together. And when we eat together as a church, it's like that. It's a meal. It's enough for us to live on. But when we eat with another church, and I don't mean just physical food, but spiritually, it's like getting to go back to the buffet again. It's like I want more roast. I want more mashed potatoes. I want more of those things. When we get together, it's like second helping. It's like double dipping. It's I love it. When someone says they're having a conference, I go. Just give you an example. You're going to be preaching in a conference this Friday and Saturday. I plan to be there both nights. Why? Because I need that second helping, not of food, because I don't even think we're eating at this meeting. I need that second helping of fellowship with another church. I need that second helping of preaching. I need that second helping of worship, the way I said it, the way they say it in heaven. I need that second helping. Now, most of the church is like, nah. But if you get a couple of people going, I think we were all at a conference. You weren't there, Eddie. We were at a conference in Bloomer with Michael Sanchez. I think I had like... 10 or 12 people from my old church there. Mm. They've got it. They've learned, oh, man, we can we can go to the buffet twice with these conferences. Eddie doesn't come unless he's preaching. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, I don't ever preach at conferences. You know, what he I hear you said at the Preachers of Grace conference did a great job. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what I hear you saying, Harold, is we all need to build a smoker. And we need to subscribe to Preacher's Day Off so that we know what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> on YouTube. Everybody subscribe to Preacher's Day Off on YouTube. Yeah. Well, it could be a simple, back to the conference, Eddie, do you, you realize? But it could really could be a simple. I mean, any church, it doesn't matter your budget. Any church could say, hey, you know what? This Saturday, we're going to have a conference at 10 o'clock. We're going to have a sermon at 10. We're going to have a sermon at 11. And we're going to eat lunch and that's it. You know, I mean, like it could be as simple as that. And that's, that is hard. That's, that's really, that's, that's, I think a lot of guys overthink this, but you really could call your buddy from across the road or across the state and say, come preach or, and another guy, maybe you don't know as well, but you know, he's faithful. Come preach. Amen. And, and, and so you say, well, but nobody in my church would come. Well, what if three people came? What if five right. people came? You know, right. and and show that it's important and it'll be good for your own soul. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing: we need this. The early church did it. We need it. Um, when you hear people, and when you read the end of Paul's letters, you know, a lot of people get to that last couple of paragraphs or even last chapter, and they just flip over. Like I'm not reading all those names. The names of the people in those churches knew the names of people in other churches. I'm not talking about just apostles and traveling missionaries. There was inner church interaction, and they knew it, and they knew who they were, and they had spent time. And we find the same men who are not 
not traveling apostles, they're pastors, but they're mentioned at the end of several different books because those men traveled around and did this. We've got to get back to that. Mm-hmm. We've got to get back to that, and here's why. We need to get back to it so that when someone in our area moves to another area, we know somebody in that area and say, look, let me save you a lot of headache and looking. There's a bunch of wacko churches there. Here's a couple of good churches in that area that I know. And many times they know because that pastor's preached in their church. That kind of networking, that kind of recognition of preachers and churches and Christians outside of your own little town and community is really important. Amen. Amen. Man, it's been a joy having you on these two episodes. This is the last episode before Christmas 2022. So you guys have any uh, Christmas greetings? I just hope everybody has a Merry Christmas. Enjoy your worshiping on the Lord's Day in your church on Christmas Day. <laughs> yeah. Amen. And, and let, me, let me just say something and balance all this out. If your church has Santa Claus in it, it's not the end of the world. If your church has a Christmas tree in it, it's not the end of the world. I don't agree with those things. I don't think that's a part of the normal worship service. But, guys, we're living in a dark time. <laughs> don't, don't just blow up because everything's not completely and totally orthodox. If the gospel's preached, you may have to stomach some stuff for full reform to take place. The reason I say that is because a lot of young preachers are entering churches for the first time this year and they're going to get fired over a Christmas tree or a wreath on the door or somebody wearing a Santa hat, and it's not worth it. Be patient. Trust God to change hearts. And over time, those things will work themselves out if you have a high view of Scripture. Hmm. Amen, brother. Thanks for joining us again. You want to share your contact info again on this episode? Yeah. Easiest way to reach me is pastorherald at att.net. And uh, you can just reach out to me through email. I'm on social media, but I really ain't on it that much. And uh, so just shoot me an email. I'll be glad to get in touch with you. We're grateful to have you, brother. Thank you guys for joining us on this episode of the Rural Church Podcast. Say goodbye, Eddie. Hey, Harold. It's good to see you, brother. We'll see you guys next week.